uh, chapter 2. I'm going to pick it up at verse 11. And uh, just a reminder to the guys, we had homework for Bible study, so uh, Wednesday night study. So if you got your homework done, that's good. And uh, if you read the first chapter of that book, uh, that's good as well. And, uh, and I think we'll have a good time. But Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 22. I titled the message, uh, United in Christ. And let, let's go to the Lord in prayers. Would you bow your heads? Father, in Jesus' precious name, we just love you, Lord. We know you're a good God. The people that are here today, Lord, they're just, just people who, who love you. And they've trusted in your son Jesus for salvation. They love you and they love your word. And they're coming here to hear your word preached. And so I pray, Lord, that you would cancel the man. That you would anoint me with your spirit to proclaim your truth so that I would not lead anyone astray. I pray that uh, you'd open hearts and minds, including my own, to receive truth from your word. And then we pray that your spirit would empower us and lead us to be all that you call us to be, to apply these truths and to build your kingdom and not our own. And Lord, in a, in a day and age when we're being taught now in the public schools and the universities to judge people by the color of their skin, uh, I just pray, Lord, that we could see the true unity that we can have in Christ and that the only real division between human beings on the planet Earth are those who believe in the Lord Jesus and those who do not. And we who believe in the Lord Jesus need to love those who don't and speak the truth in love and try to lead them to the salvation that only comes through your Son, the crucified, risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, so last week, um, we got to... To go over one of my favorite passages in Scripture, Ephesians 2, verses uh, 8 through 10, which showed that we're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. And it's not of works, so that we have no reason to boast. Okay, Salvation is a free gift. There's nobody here, and there's nobody on this planet, and there's nobody who ever lived except the Lord Jesus Christ himself who deserves heaven. Okay? We've all, if we get what we deserve, it's a place called hell. It's eternal conscious torment. But by the grace of God, he's given the free gift of salvation. By his grace, he's given the free gift of salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus for salvation rather than trusting in ourselves. Now, what's the very next thing Paul's got to talk about? to the Ephesians after explaining the salvation message. We were dead in our sins, but then God, by his mercy and grace, made us alive through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now we're saved. We, got, we have no reason to boast. We boast in the Lord, not ourselves. What's the next thing Paul's going to have to talk about to the Ephesians at this time in the history of the church? Well, it turns out that they're mostly Gentiles. So these guys and gals are coming out of paganism, worshiping false gods. I mean, they had a temple to the, the false god Diana right there in Ephesus. And um, 
And so they're coming out of paganism, okay? But that's not really Paul's main concern because Paul is just like, you know, Jesus takes us out of the, the ugliness of our sin. You know, he loves us enough to save us in the midst of our sin, but then he le- loves us too much to leave us there. And so Paul knew that the, the Ephesian believers were God's work of art. God was painting a masterpiece in their lives. But there was a problem going on because there were Jews who hadn't accepted Jesus in synagogues in every city throughout the Roman Empire. And right there in Ephesus, there were Jews. And some of the Jews professed faith in Christ. They acknowledged Jesus as their Messiah and Savior, but they said if for a Gentile to get saved, he has to first become a Jew. God's not in the business of saving Gentiles. Gentiles have to get circumcised and become a Jew, and then God can save them through faith in Jesus. That's a false gospel. And Paul has to address that. And in fact, they're being taught, at best, they're second-class Christians. At worst, they're not even saved because they're not circumcised. And so Paul has to address this problem. Okay? And, uh, and so look at verses 11 and 12. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, and by the way, before the Gentiles, when a Gentile doesn't convert to Judaism, the Jews considered the Gentiles, that was equivalent to pagans. Two kinds of people in the world. The Jews who worship Yahweh, the true God, and the pagans. Okay? Now, granted, most of the Gentiles were pagans. Okay? Um, but, uh, but that's the way they were looked down upon by the Jews. Verse 11, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, the Jews called themselves the circumcision, okay, because they were circumcised, the Jewish males, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers, so they were like foreigners, Strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Okay? You know, you should look at that passage there. They were without Christ. Before, you know, most of us are, are Gentiles. You know, I don't think I have a drop of Jewish blood in me for all I know. Okay? So most of us are Gentiles. But before we came to Christ, just like, by the way, Jews... Even Jews, before they come to Christ, they're without Christ, without the Messiah, and they're without God. You can't have a relationship with God unless you have a relationship with the Messiah, with Jesus. So they were without Christ, without God, and without hope in the world. There's a lot of people that act like they they got hope. I got hope, you got hope. Let me tell you, you don't have Jesus, you don't have hope. If the tomb was not empty, and if the King of Kings, the crucified and risen Savior, did not rise from the dead, we have no hope. But our hope has to be in Jesus alone, not Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus being a Jew. Jesus plus the Old Testament law. Okay? The law was never intended to save us. The law was intended to show us that we're sinners who cannot save ourselves. 
So the law was intended to show us that we need a Savior. And that Savior is the Lord Jesus. He alone is Savior. And uh, so, uh, so here we see the pre-cross state of the Gentiles separated from the Jews. They were uncircumcised and they were not part of the covenants that God had made. Okay? They were separated from Christ and without God and without hope. This is why, remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. We talked about this on Easter Sunday. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 14, verse 17, verse 32. If Christ is not raised, you're still dead in your sins. Our faith is worthless. Our preaching is worthless. If the dead are not, if Christ is not risen, the dead will not be raised. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. So everybody who lives like they have hope and they could face tomorrow and have hope in this, this world of wickedness, uh, if they're not trusting in Jesus, it's a pipe dream. They're just lying to themselves. Okay? And uh, without Jesus, there is no meaning. There is no hope. There is no purpose. And uh, now, in your handouts there, if you look on page 51, I talk a little bit about circumcision. That the Jewish people were to set themselves apart for God's holy service by this outward sign. That was, this was the show that they were the covenant people. Of course, circumcision of the flesh was the removal of the, the, the foreskin on the, the male private part, okay? And, um, but that was supposed to be an outward sign because what God really wanted was the Jews, the hearts of the Jews to be set apart for God. And this outward circumcision was supposed to point to true circumcision of the heart. Look at uh, Romans chapter 2. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 2. Paul says this in Romans 2, verses 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God." Paul is saying true circumcision is not a surgery performed on uh, the body. True circumcision is circumcision of the heart. It's regeneration. It's the new birth. It's from trusting in Jesus for salvation where we get born again. And, uh, but here you had the circumcision party within early Christianity. Heretics saying, look, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. True. Therefore, Jesus is the Savior of the Jews, true, and therefore he's not the Savior of the Gentiles, false. And they're thinking, in the Old Testament, if you wanted to trust in Yahweh, the God of Israel, to provide salvation for you, 
You got circumcised and you aligned yourself. You worshiped the God of Israel. Recognizing the God of Israel is the true God who created the heavens and the earth, and he is the only God that can provide salvation for us. I mean, just in the psalm that, that um, uh, Chris read earlier today, um, back in Psalm 78, verse 22, you can look at the, the psalms with the, the worship manual for the ancient Jews. And we see all these rules and regulations, but the, the Old Testament never taught salvation uh, by works. But in Psalm 78, verse 22, God's anger came up against Israel. Why? Because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation. God was angry at Israel because they did not believe God and did not trust in his salvation. Now, if you trust in God, you're going to do what God commands you to do. And back then, God commanded the Jews to get circumcised, go to the temple and have the priests perform animal sacrifices. Not because the bloodshed of animals takes away sins, but God was giving hints on a regular basis to the Jews that someday God would send, Yahweh would send, the ultimately worthy Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, who would die on the cross for our sins and salvation would be found uh, through him and his shed blood, not, uh, not the blood uh, of man. So, so God wanted the Jews, the, their hearts, to be set apart for his service. And, but they were this outward sign. It's like, kind of like water baptism today. It's an outward sign that's supposed to be evidence of inward belief. And a lot of the Jews were acting like without that outward sign, which was to keep the Jews separate. By the way, why did God keep the Jews separate from the Gentiles, from the pagans? Because he didn't want them to intermarry with the pagans. He didn't want them to believe in the false gods of the pagans. When God became the God of Israel, every nation had its own false god or gods. And so the Jews were going to be the custodians of God's word for us. If God didn't make the Jews a separate people, instead of 66 books of the Bible, we'd have the Tibetan Book of the Dead, we'd have Egyptian false writings, we'd have Babylonian false writings, okay? And God had to be extra strict with the Jews and shelter them from the other nations so they would not fall into false religion. They were the custodians uh, of God's word. And... Um, uh, so many of the Jews, uh, oh, by, by the way, just Philippians 3, 3, just look at that passage too. Very next book after Ephesians, Philippians 3, 3. For we are the circumcision. I, I like um, the translations that add the word true because that's the point Paul's getting at. For we are the true circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Okay, my confidence is not in the flesh. You know, for the for some of these Jews, it was like, well, I'm circumcised, so I'm going to heaven. No, you can't have confidence in the flesh. You can't even have confidence in the accomplishments in the flesh. What you did before you came to Christ. Uh, but Paul's dealing in Philippians with the same group that he's dealing with here in in the book, his letter to the Ephesians. He's dealing with those. Uh, who are trying to say Gentiles cannot be saved unless they get circumcised and place themselves under the law. 
So in order for a Gentile to enjoy the blessings of the salvation offered to mankind through the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, they have to first get circumcised. Paul dealt with this as well in the book of Galatians. We are not saved through faith plus works. Okay? We're not saved through faith plus the law. We're not saved through faith plus circumcision. We're not saved through faith plus converting to Judaism. We are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. Okay? And uh, Paul says, you start messing with that, that's heresy, that's a false gospel, it's not the true gospel. Okay? And, um, um, and so... Paul is, is telling, saying here, you know, that these guys are wrong. Now, we don't have time to look at it, but Acts, the first few verses, Acts 11, the first few verses, Acts 15, the first verse, many Jews believed that Gentiles had to become circumcised and become Jews before they could, be, could become Christians and be saved. And, and Paul slams this type of thinking. In fact, and we don't have time to turn there, but in Romans 4, verses 9 to 12, Paul um, uh, tells the Romans that God credited righteousness to Abraham when he first believed, which means that Abraham was saved before he got circumcised. Therefore, circumcision is not necessary for salvation, and so Abraham is the father of all who believe in Jesus, whether Jew or Gentile, whether circumcised or not circumcised, okay? So there's a little background on circumcision there. Uh, the next page on page 52, I give you, you could probably come up with more, but some of the, I call these like the eight major Old Testament covenants. And there'd be scholars who would disagree on all. I do agree with the covenant theologians that in the end there's really two covenants. Okay? One is the covenant of works. We bombed. We blew that in the garden. And from then on it's been the covenant of grace. At the same time, uh, the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant of the law, might give people the impression that it's the covenant of works. But no, the law was intended to show us what? We deserve hell. We need a savior. So you could really take, you know, so, so some would call it the Edenic, you know, the, the, the Garden of Eden, the Edenic Covenant, where God said, you know, you can walk with me if you don't eat from the forbidden fruit. We ate from the forbidden fruit. We failed the covenant of works. After that, like the, the, the covenant, God's covenant to Noah, that he would never totally wipe out the earth by water again. Then the Abrahamic covenant, that Abraham's offspring would be a great nation. God would bless Abraham. Whenever God blesses us, he blesses us to be a blessing to others. God never blesses any of us so that we could be blessed. We walk around, man, I'm blessed with God. If God blessed you, he blessed you to be a blessing to others. Okay? I grew up in Essex County, New Jersey, and I'm half Italian. So God made me loud. Okay? Now, some of you are thinking, man, I'm glad God didn't curse me like that, but it's, it depends on how you use your you know, your, your gifts, whether it could be a curse or a blessing. But I think it, I think it, was, a, I think it was a blessing. 
Okay? But if God blessed me with loudness, and hopefully uh, a mind that could study and, and understand God's word, if God blessed me with loudness and intelligence, okay, then I'm supposed to use that blessing to be a blessing to others. Okay? So whatever your gifts are, you come to me and, you know, I'll be honest with you. You know, John comes to me and says, Phil, could you fix my car? I'm going to say, no, you need to talk to Chuck. Um, I don't have anything, you know, I could, I could study the Word and come up with good theological principles. And then uh, people say, okay, well, then how do we get that done? I'm like, talk to somebody who's practical, man. I'm just kind of, I'm just in my study, studying. But whatever blessed, whatever way God's blessed you, God blesses you to be a blessing to others. God blessed Israel, not so that Israel will be blessed, but that Israel will be a blessing to all nations. And so God called Israel a light to the Gentiles. That's what they were supposed to be. Instead, salvation comes from the Jews through the Jewish Messiah. And some of these guys are saying, you Gentiles cannot trust in Jesus for salvation until you convert to Judaism and get circumcised, okay? And for uh, the circumcision, Abraham was already saved through faith, trusting in God at uh, Genesis 15, 6. Abram believed in God, and God credited to him as righteousness, okay? Abraham was already saved um, by faith when he, was, when he was circumcised. Circumcision is just an outward sign that the Jews were God's chosen people. It was done to set apart the Jews from other nations as the chosen people of God, but it was to be backed by a personal covenant relationship, a love-faith relationship with Yahweh, so that a godly Jew could say with King David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, um, And so it was supposed to be backed by true saving faith and godly living, okay? Then you had the Mosaic Covenant where God, you know, demanded obedience to his commands, general outward obedience, and God would bless the nation of Israel. General outward disobedience, God would curse their nation, okay? Um, But it also showed the Jews, hey, here's my holy standards. Try to obey these from the heart. You can't do it. You deserve hell. You need a Savior. So Galatians 3.24, the law became to us a substitute teacher, a tutor to lead us to Christ. And in Jesus um, is salvation. And, um, and so, um, you know, and many of the Pharisees could outwardly obey God's laws, but they couldn't inwardly obey God from the heart. That's why Paul being a Pharisee and all caught up in the law, he legalistically, when he was Saul of Tarsus, he legalistically interpreted the Old Testament. That was his hermeneutic, his method of interpreting the Old Testament. And, and he was looking for rules and regulations uh, as to how to earn your salvation. When he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, immediately he realized, I got the wrong hermeneutic. Instead of legalistically interpreting the Old Testament, I need to be Christocentrically interpreting the Old Testament. 
I need to look to Jesus for the Savior. Yeah, the law does a lot of talking, but what it does, what the law does, it tells you, hey, you can't keep these on your own. You deserve hell. You need to look for the Savior. And then it points us to Jesus with the prophecies of Jesus. Every Old Testament animal that was slaughtered was pointing forward to the day when the Lamb of God would come to take away the sins of the world. And, um, um, and so Paul had to learn by the Lord Jesus appearing to him that we need to look for Jesus in the Old Testament. Now, the law does serve a purpose. The moral aspects of the law, not the ceremonial aspects, sometimes not the civil aspects, the punishment for crimes, but the moral aspects still apply, but it's not the law that empowers us to obey God from the heart. It's the indwelling Holy Spirit. Okay, and we obey the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Okay, and um, um, so um, so then you so you had the Mosaic law, the Levitical law, uh, the, the Mosaic law, the Mosaic covenant, the Levitical covenant, the uh, the priesthood and the animal sacrifices, the Davidic covenant, that David's throne would be established through forever, of course, through the Messiah. Son of David, who would reign forever and ever. And then Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34 talks about true forgiveness of sins, and that's in the new covenant, the covenant of grace. And guess when Jesus instituted that? At the Last Supper, the new covenant. There's also going to be a covenant of peace during the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Jesus on earth, when Jesus will shepherd the nations with an iron rod, and uh, the lion's going to lay down with the lamb. But the, the Jews were entrusted with God's word, okay? They were entrusted with God's covenants, and they were circumcised. Now, in the meantime, where were the Gentiles? Where were the pagans? They were out worshiping false gods. They had no hope. They didn't know the true God. They didn't know the Messiah, and they were just kind of being stupid, Okay? And being wretched. Okay? And so, Paul says here, back in Ephesians 2, 11 and 12, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, you uncircumcised uh, sinners, you, by what is called the circumcision, those are the self-righteous Jews who thought you have to get circumcised to get to heaven, uh, uh, by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And so a lot of what Paul's talking about here is, look, you pagan Gentiles, you're not who you used to be. You're saved. And you're now becoming God's work of art. Don't feel like a second-class Christian. Don't feel all ugly and pagan. You're not who you used to be. Jesus is at work with you. Okay? And at work in you. Uh, transform you. But also part of, the, part of the message there, too, is that don't let those false teachers get to you. And you think, well, I'm glad those Judaizers, those the circumcision group, I'm glad they're not around anymore. Oh, yes, they are. It just takes new shapes and new forms. 
But there's always somebody saying, Jesus is not enough. You need Jesus plus something else to be saved. No. No, you don't. You just trust in the Lord Jesus for salvation. And I'm telling you, salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. But sanctification, growing in the Lord, is also by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. Okay? So Christianity is not a list of rules and regulations, but it's a personal love, trust relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ where the Holy Spirit empowers us to obey the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. Now, often the letter of the law and the spirit of the law are one and the same. But the spirit of the law is love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot do that. You cannot love God with everything you got from the heart. You cannot love your neighbor as yourself unless you're walking with Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that if your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you have no place in my kingdom. And uh, so the pre-cross state of the Gentiles before they came to Christ, they were separated from the chosen people of God, the Jews. Didn't have any, didn't have any knowledge really of the covenants. They were uncircumcised and they were separated from Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the Savior. And because of that, they were without God. And because of that, they were without hope. That's who the Gentiles were before the cross. Now, verses 13 to 22 of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about who the Gentiles are after the cross, after coming to Jesus. And look at verses 13 and 14. Verses 13 and 14. But now, now that you've been saved, but now in Christ Jesus, if you're saved, you're in Christ. Outside of Christ, is, is condemnation, death, okay? In Christ is eternal life. But now in Christ Jesus, so they've trusted in Jesus for salvation, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So he, he's, saying, he's saying, man, you guys are so far away from the true gospel and true salvation. You're way out there. But now through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus, you've been made close, close to God. Verse 15, and having abolished in his flesh, Jesus abolished in his flesh, in his body, the enmity. So not only did Jesus die on a cross for our sins, okay, but he also abolished in his flesh, dying at the, on the cross at the hands of the Romans and the Jews, the Gentiles and the Jews, Jesus abolished in his flesh when he died on the cross. He, he abolished that hatred between the Jews and the Gentiles. Okay? Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the hatred, that is the law commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Reconciling us. So Jesus not only through his death on the cross, made peace with God for man, but he also made peace and reconciliation between the Jews and the Gentiles. Okay? And so we are one body uh, in Christ. The Gentiles 
uh, who are in Christ Jesus are no longer in the flesh. Gentiles in Christ are now near to God, no longer far away. They're near to God and they're also near to believing Jews. Even though they, they haven't become Jews physically, you could say, well, we're spiritually Jews and that we're circumcised in the heart, but we're not physically Jews. But we've brought, been brought near through Christ's death. Now, it's very interesting there that Christ is our peace and has made us both one, made it united us. He's our reconciliation. He's reconciled Jew and Gentile, and he's broken down the middle wall of separation. What is that? That dividing wall. Uh, Josephus uh, tells us, the Jewish historian who died in 97 AD, that in the wall in the temple that separated the court of the Gentiles from the court of the Jews, there was an inscription uh, chiseled out of stone that threatened with death any Gentiles who dared to enter in. So if you turn to the last page of the handout, you'll see here's a diagram of the, the temple, and you've got the court of the Gentiles on the outside. Okay, And Israel is supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. So that's supposed to be a house of prayer. Gentiles from all over the world would think, you know what, I might become a Jew someday. And so they'd travel to Jerusalem, to the temple, and they went there and they saw Jews ripping off other Jews. Money changers and uh, animal salesmen, just a big rip-off deal going on. Uh, uh, this just furthered the hatred between the Jews and the Gentiles. Have, a guy would show up with a lamb in a temple and say, hey, I want you, uh, uh, you're a priest, I want you to sacrifice this lamb for me, for my sins. They said, we can't do it. We only accept temple lambs. And the guy's like, well, that's a ripoff. And so he's got to wait in line to the animal salesman. And then he says, okay, here's a dollar. That's the going price for a lamb. Give me a, give me a temple lamb. And they say, no. Temple lambs are special lambs. They cost $3. And the guy's like, that's a ripoff. Well, you want us to offer a sacrifice for you or not? All right, here's $3. I can't accept that. That's Roman currency. We only accept temple currency. You've got to go to that table, wait in line, and uh, to the money changers. So the guy's like, man, this is a ripoff. So then you go through the money changers, and then you give them $3. Give me $3 in uh, temple currency. He says, okay, that'll cost you $350. It's like, what do you mean $350? It's like, well, this is an exchange rate. And then with the temple priests, by the way, the Jews of this day, the Orthodox Jews acknowledge that Caiaphas, the high priest, and the, the Jewish uh, priesthood back then, they were incredibly corrupt and were ripping the people off. And Jesus walked twice at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry. He walked into that court of the Gentiles and he thought, this is my father's house. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. Israel is supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. But because of what they're doing, the Gentiles will come there and say, what's this? Jews ripping off other Jews. I can get that at, uh, at my local bar or my local pagan temple. And uh, so the Gentiles were blaspheming the God of Israel because of what they saw in the temple. But there at the, uh, the court of the Gentiles, they had, according to Josephus, 13 different stone tablets spaced out. So you couldn't miss it. If you were a Gentile, it's like, oh, wait a minute. If I go beyond that point, 
the Temple Guard. The Temple Guard, there's a big debate about who would win in a one-on-one -on -one fight. A trained Roman soldier and a trained Temple Guard. Okay? And um, um, so it's like, oh, I passed that? And they, they, one of those guys that's staring at me right now, you know, they're, they're just staring at me and saying, you know, you know, go ahead, make my day, you know? And um, push my buttons, dude. Go ahead. Go for it. And, um, um, but Josephus said there were 13 of them. Guess what? We found, archaeologists have found two of them. So we know exactly what that dividing wall was. And, um, and um, Jesus took it down. Jesus took it down. You know, here in America, it's like, are you black or are you Hispanic or are you Asian or are you white guy or whatever? And, you know, with me, I, I don't know what in the world happened. I guess I used to be a white guy in the 60s. I mean, I used to be not a white guy in the 60s and the 70s. Somewhere in the late 1980s, I became a white guy. I don't know why, but <laughs> but, um, but it used to be white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, and I was a half Italian, half Portuguese, and I used to, white guys made fun of me back then, you know, and... Uh, but whatever the case, they want us to divide everybody. Well, the, you know, the, the, with the Greeks, it was the Greeks and the non-Greeks. What are the non-Greeks? The barbarians. For the Jews, it was the Jews and the Gentiles. Okay? And, um, and what Paul's saying is now, it's the believers and the non-believers. And we need to love the non-believers and try to lead them to Christ. We're not supposed to look at people in accordance with, uh, to the flesh and the outward uh, appearance. Jesus broke down that dividing wall. Uh, verses 15 and 16 of Ephesians chapter 2. Okay, so he broke, for he, verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one, has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity, putting to death the, ha the hatred. So Christ's death not only brings salvation to all, believe, to all who believe, but also unites both Jews and Gentiles into one body. Paul calls him one new man. Okay? So all the separation between the different ethnic groups, that all goes back to the Tower of Babel. Okay? That's a product of the fall of man's sinfulness. Now in Jesus we have this unity. Okay? And um, um, this, this hatred, the law was, was, God gave us the law to lead a man to Christ. However, the Jews looked down on the Gentiles for not having the law. And so God abolished the, the hatred, um, Christ abolished the hatred by fulfilling the law and doing away with the Jewish legal system, okay? Now, now let me say, if, if somebody's an Orthodox Jew, I mean, there's different, Paul would say, when I'm among the Jews, I become as a Jew, okay? When, uh, because he's Jewish. When I'm among the Gentiles, I become as a Gentile. Different diet and everything. Uh, he refused to have Titus, who was full-blooded Gentile, circumcised. But Timothy, because he was half Jewish and half Gentile, 
he had him as an adult circumcised. You know, it's like good news, bad news for Timothy. It's the young guy, hey, I want you to be my right-hand man. It's like, oh, what an honor. Like, yeah, but you're half Jewish. Nobody's going to listen to you unless you have a little surgery first. And um, so I'm sure he didn't, uh, you know, Paul appointed him and then gave him a, probably a week to heal up before they actually went out and traveled and, uh, and got to work there. But, um, but whatever the case, uh, it, it's one new man, neither Jew nor Gentile. Now, don't get me wrong here. There might be different roles to play. There might be different... I'm not Jewish, so God not, never promised me a piece of the Holy Land. So in the Millennial Kingdom, when Jesus rules, if he gives me one block in Bremerton or one block in Essex County, New Jersey, I'm good with that. Okay, um, so there are some physical promises that true believing Jews will also receive some of those physical promises. Um, but so there's some distinction. There's some distinctions between male and female, different roles to play in the household and in the church. Um, but as far as when it comes to salvation, there's no Jew and Gentile. There's no male and female. There's no rich and poor. Jesus has broken down uh, those barriers. Uh, verses 17 and 18 of Ephesians 2. He came and preached peace to you who were afar off. That's the Gentiles. And to those who were near. That's the Jews. For through him, through Jesus, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, he just got talking about Jesus tearing down the dividing wall. What did the dividing wall prevent? It prevented access into the court of the Jews. The Gentiles had to stop. Now, now Paul is saying, uh, through Jesus, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the Father. Okay? Now, by the way, you got all three members of the Trinity mentioned there. You know, through Jesus, we have access by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the Father. All three, the one true God is three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Those who are far away, the Gentiles, those who are near, Jesus gives us access to the Father. He's the only way to the Father. That's why he said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Okay, um, when we accept Jesus, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so look at 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. And Paul says there, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? And so now that we've trusted in Jesus for salvation, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, it's you in the plural. It's the local church. So, so as individual believers, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Our individual churches, local churches that preach the true gospel, okay, 
Our churches are temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides in us. Okay? The Jews are still stuck in the mindset that God's special presence is only in the temple, their physical temple. And Paul's saying, like, no, no, God's doing a new thing now. He hasn't left his people without a temple, but that temple is individual Christians, whether they be Jews or Gentiles. And, uh, but we have access to the Father through the Lord Jesus. Um, it's just like, you know, John F. Kennedy, I often talk about this, the show, like, Jesus called God the Father Abba. He called him Daddy. There's a closeness in that relationship there and intimacy that no one else had. So in John 5, 17 and 18, the Jews picked up stones to stone him, not just because he was breaking the Sabbath in their estimation, but because he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. That intimacy, no one could be that intimate with God unless he is God himself. And um, so, um, uh, but I remember that, that video footage, I talk about it a lot, of John F. Kennedy in the Oval Office and two very important business guys or whatever wearing, you know, suits that in today's, with inflation, would probably be worth thousands of dollars, really fancy suits. They had a whole stack of security badges. They were with the president, John F. Kennedy, probably the most powerful political guy in the world. Um, and, um, and they had to go through security clearance to get there. And they were, like, real stiff and trembling. You could tell they were terrified. And John F. Kennedy was smiling, you know, just kind of real, real chill, real calm and stuff. And... Um, but as the camera panned back, you saw there was another guy in the Oval Office. But he wasn't wearing a fancy suit. Okay? In fact, he didn't even have a shirt on. He's wearing overalls. Um, he didn't have any security badge. He's got past the, the, the world's best security. Didn't have any passes. And, um, and he was pretty relaxed. He was playing with a toy truck. And it was John John um, underneath the president's desk. He's like... You're terrified because John F. Kennedy is the president of the United States. I'm comfortable because John F. Kennedy is my daddy. Okay? Now, let me say this. Even if John F. Kennedy Jr. walked in naked, the security would have let him through. And if he walked through, uh, crawled through, actually couldn't even walk back then, but with one of his buddies, the security would have probably just said, let them both go. You see, Jesus has access to the Father by nature because he is God the Son. We have access to the Father through Jesus. Jesus earned it for us. Jesus won it for us. Okay? So we're sons and daughters of God by adoption through the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus was the Son of God um, by nature. And, uh, and so we have access uh, through Jesus. He's the only access that we could have to the Father. When we accept Jesus, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This applies to salvation. We could only come to God for salvation through Jesus uh, fellowship, we can only fellowship with God the Father through Jesus, and prayer. Our prayers will be answered if we go to the Lord 
trusting in Him and His will, but it's through Jesus. And, uh, and then he, Paul talks about it's not only being one body, but one building in verses 19 through 22. Look at verse 19, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fe- fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So now all of a sudden the, 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 the uh, pagans are no longer uh, strangers and aliens and foreigners, but now we're citizens. The Gentile saints are citizens along with the Jewish saints in the household of God. And so Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. Look at verse 20. Having, so the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So the apostles and the prophets are the foundation uh, of, they form the foundation of the church, okay? But Jesus is the most important part of the foundation in that he is the chief uh, cornerstone, okay? And um, the cornerstone is important in binding together the sides of the building. and the, I mean, the whole building is really centered on that cornerstone, the most important stone in the foundation, okay? Yet, the apostles and prophets are called the foundation stones there. Uh, we don't have time to look at it, but in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 8, all believers are the rest of the stones in the building. So God's building a new temple, a spiritual temple, with the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles and the prophets, and then built upon that believers throughout the centuries. Okay? Um, now, who are the apostles? They were one, the ones sent forth by Christ with the gospel message and with the authority of the one who sent them. It was their job to get the early church off the ground. You have the original 11 disciples, apostles. Okay, the apostles were like mega disciples. Disciples were followers of Christ, but there were like 70 of those besides the 12 apostles. Judas was a betrayer, so he got replaced in Acts 1 by Matthias. But then Paul was appointed by Jesus to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And so you do have other guys that are called apostles, Barnabas, Apollos, and James. Um, so it's kind of like the original apostles that were commissioned directly by Jesus, and Paul's included in that list because Jesus commissioned him. Uh, but they, know, they understood we need trustworthy men to come alongside us. So there's kind of a second level of apostles who are commissioned by the apostles. And so people like uh, Barnabas and Apollos and James... And, and it was their job to form the foundation of the church, to build the church on apostolic teaching, with Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. Uh, the prophets, there were New Testament prophets. God would speak through them in the early church. Um, I've got a list of some down at the bottom of page 50. Agabus in Acts 11 is called, uh, uh, verses 27 and 28, it was called a prophet. Barnabas, Paul, Simeon, Lucius, and uh, Menean uh, were called prophets in Acts 13, verse 1. And then Judas and Silas, a different Judas. Judas was a very common name 
in Acts 15.32. So you have uh, these apostles and prophets. They had the Old Testament scriptures, but how do we interpret that Old Testament now that Jesus the Messiah has come? That was the work of the apostles and the prophets. Let me tell you this. Both offices, both were offices of, of apostles and prophets. They're no longer filled today. So when the Bishop of Rome calls himself uh, an apostle and claims to have apostolic authority, the Pope, I don't, I don't believe that. Okay? When uh, uh, Protestant Christians claim to be apostles, that the church in America and throughout the world is going to fall unless we submit to their authority and consider their visions and prophecies in the same level as the scriptures themselves? No. Now, I'm not saying God can't give a prophecy to somebody. I'm, I'm not saying that God can't give somewhat of an apostolic ministry to plant churches and keep in touch with those churches. That's what missionaries do. The most humble people on the planet. So they don't go around saying, I'm an apostle. Uh, but as far as apostolic authority and that prophetic authority, now that we have the scriptures, we Protestants say sola scriptura. The final authority is not the Bible plus church tradition. That's the Roman Catholic view. Okay? Uh, we say, no, we will test everything with the Word of God. If the Bible is the Word of God, anything that contradicts it is false. Okay? And, um, and so somebody walks up to you today and says, they're a prophet, uh, meaning with the, this level of authority or an apostle, I just pray for that, that guy or that gal. Okay? Um, now, God could give a, a word of wisdom, word of knowledge, a prophetic word for a local church or maybe for a specific time. But as far as God's prophecy for all the church at all times in all places, that's the 66 books of the Bible. Okay? And um, um, if Josh came in and told me, hey, you know, thus saith the Lord... Bremerton's going to be totally devastated by an earthquake tomorrow, and it's now we're going to we're going to say, hey, we need to take this guy aside and counsel him and get him some cookies and milk and nourish him back to health. Uh, but if that next day the Bremerton is, uh, Bremerton gets destroyed by an earthquake, we're going to say, okay, maybe maybe God did give him a prophetic word, and we should have listened. Um, but whatever the case. Um, as far as the foundation of the church, no one today has apostolic authority and that prophetic authority. All that, that apostolic teaching, that's what we have in the New Testament today. And the Holy Spirit saw to it that we got the 27 New Testament books right, just as the Holy Spirit saw to it that we got the 39 Old Testament books right. Um, now, verses 21 and 22 of Acts uh, I mean, of Ephesians chapter 2. So we are now the members of the household of God, Jew and Gentile believers, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. And it says, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We Gentiles don't have to feel bad for being Gentiles anymore. Okay? Um, we're not second class 
Christians, okay? And so the Holy Temple, the church, God's spirit was once present in the, whole, in the Jewish temple, but now he resides in the bodies of all who are in the church, both Jew and Gentile. I've got some typos there. Really, after the cross, there's only two distinct distinctions of people, and that's just believers and non-believers. Be honest with you, that's the only been the only distinction going all the way back to Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. They're those who trust in the true God of the Bible for salvation and those who don't. Um, and so, once saved, we're accepted into God's household. In closing, this is a message, a very important message that we need to hear. I look at Galatians 3. It's got two passages for us to look at. Galatians 3, verses 26 to 29. It's, Paul says this, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, Jew and Gentile. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. <clears throat> we're of the spiritual seed of Abraham, even though we're not of the physical seed of Abraham. Um, but this, this division that we put between people... Um, our spiritual family should be a, a strong, our strongest tie, stronger than our earthly family. You know, Jesus' mother and brothers came when he was teaching, and, uh, and they said, oh, you know, your, your mom is out there. And he said, who, who are my mother and my brothers, but he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. In other words, our spiritual family should be even closer than our physical family. It should be stronger than our nationalities or race. This refutes both white supremacy, that whites are superior and all this racism garbage, but it also refutes critical race theory. You know what? Our kids are being taught in the public schools and some Christian and Catholic schools today. Um, our kids are being taught that if you're white, it doesn't matter what you think, um, how you act, what you've done, what you say. If you're white, you're automatically a racist. Okay? Um, that's not biblical. And so we got to preach, look, God created all mankind perfect. We fell, so we're all sinners in need of salvation. Jesus died for all mankind. The Holy Spirit draws all mankind. Salvation is open to all mankind. And if we trust in Jesus for salvation, we are one in Christ. Okay? And um, uh, therefore, there's no longer any Greek nor Jew, or Jew nor Gentile, or Greek or barbarian. Okay? And, and by the way, nothing wrong with appreciating the variety within the human race. Okay? But you don't hate another person based on their outward uh, appearance. Look at 2 Corinthians, and we'll close with this, 2 Corinthians. But by the way, a stronger tie than earthly family, than our nationalities, or so-called race, in reality there's only one human race. 
They should be stronger than our patriotism. A lot of Jewish patriots. I'm not accepting a Gentile as a believer on, uh, unless he uh, gets circumcised and converts to Judaism. No. It should be stronger than our patriotism. Sometimes, you know, this refutes the idea of trying to turn Christianity into nationalism or a political party. Now, we may have a political party that agrees with us much more than the other political party does. We may have a political party that knows they can't get our votes and they want to see us imprisoned or dead, okay? But that doesn't mean Christianity is a political party, okay? And... Um, Never confuse. Should we be politically active? If God calls you to be, yes. But never confuse your political activism with the Great Commission. The Great Commission is making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that God commands. And, um, and so um, our spiritual family should be stronger than our earthly family, uh, any, our ethnic groups, our patriotism, um, it should be stronger than our relationship with our non-believing friends. Our closest friends ought to be those who love Jesus. And, um, you know, sometimes I've seen Christians decide, divided just because one guy likes the Raiders and the other guy likes the Seahawks. And the, the Raider guy might have more in common with Raider fans than he does with Seahawk Christians. It should, should not be that way. And so in closing, Second uh, Corinthians 5. Verses 14 to 18. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 18. For the love of Christ compels us. So it ought to be Jesus' love in our hearts. That ought to be the number one driving force in our lives. And when you do that, you're going to love your neighbors yourself. And you're going to love God with everything you got. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he, that's Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet, we, uh, yet now we know him thus no longer. You know, because Christ went up to heaven. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, black or white, Asian or Native American, Hispanic, it doesn't matter. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, Behold, all things have become new. Now all, th all things are of God who has reconciled us, made peace, reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So as we preach the gospel, we not only want to reconcile men and women to Jesus, to God, but we want to reconcile them to each other. Okay? And, um, and we do this through the mission um, of the church. But Paul says here, therefore, verse 16, therefore from now on we regard no one according to the flesh. Do not judge people based on their ethnic group or the color of their skin. I don't care if the government says you're going to prison. 
if you don't start judging people based on the color of their skin. You know, let God, as Paul says, let God be true and every man a liar. This whole critical race theory garbage, just as white Aryan supremacy garbage, uh, that's a, those are false gospels. The issue for each and every person here is not what is your ethnic group? Who was your daddy? That's not the issue. The issue is, do you know him? Do you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you trusted in him for salvation? Do you walk with him? Okay? And um, we got to humbly speak the truth in love to others, but we need to love all mankind. How can we not love people who are created by our God? Okay? We need to preach Jesus um, to others. And so we should accept this unity in Christ and act upon it. We are one in Christ. Now, if the world's view of unity is different and they want me to preach a false gospel, um, don't hold your breath. I got to do what I got to do. Okay? I got to preach Jesus till the day I die. You got to do what you got to do. You got to serve Jesus with everything you got. And then the world can do what it thinks it's got to do. If it thinks it's got to lock us up or rid the earth of us, well, if they can find us, then so be it. But uh, it's like that old Larry Norman song where his friends thought he was going through a, a, a fad. He was a 1970s rock and roller who came to Christ. He gave up millions by singing songs about Jesus. But his friends would say, it's just, it's just going to pass. But he said, here I am, still preaching Jesus, brother. Here I am, still preaching Jesus, sister. Here I am, still preaching Jesus, just the same. My hope and my prayer that if things get really bad, and they probably will, and you get locked up in Jesus in, in prison for preaching Jesus, uh, you could tell the cellmate next to you, I'm still preaching Jesus. And if they walk you towards a guillotine, and they're going to rid the earth of you because they don't like that you're preaching Jesus. Don't take it personal. The world hates you, Jesus said. It hates you because it hated me before you. So it's not you that they hate. It's the changes Jesus is making in you that they hate. They hate Jesus. But it's my hope and my prayer that they're walking you down a, down a hallway towards a guillotine to rid the earth of you. You can look at that guard and just say, hey, I'm still preaching Jesus. I'm still preaching Jesus. You know, I, when I look at us out here, you know, I love each and every one of you. I've known some of you for decades. Um, but as you're, you're under shepherd, uh, things are going to get tough. Our faith hasn't been tested yet. This is America. It's not Nigeria. It's not China. Our faith hasn't been tested yet, but it will be tested. We're going to go through fire. And it's my hope and my prayer that you'll see our unity in Christ, brothers and sisters in the Lord. You'll see our unity in Christ, and you will preach King Jesus until he returns in glory. The Lord Jesus, who not only reconciled us 
to God but reconciled us with each other. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we just thank you, Lord, for, for saving us, even though we don't deserve it. We're all sinners. We deserve hell. But you sent your Son, who took our punishment on the cross for our sins, took our penalty for us, and then you raised him from the dead to conquer death for us. And we long for the day when Jesus will return and take his stand upon the earth and shepherd the nations with an iron rod. But we trust in you for salvation. We trust in your son for salvation. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would empower us to be all that you have called us to be. And I pray, Lord, that we recognize not only have we been reconciled to you through Jesus, but in the church, the body of Christ, we've been reconciled to each other. No more, no more Jew nor Greek rich nor poor, slave nor free. Um, we are one in Christ. And so I pray that we would be united in Christ and act on that unity. As the world unites in its anti-Christian hate, hatred and its hatred of the church, I pray that the church would unite so that when we suffer, we'd have brothers and sisters there with us in the midst of the sufferings but even if we suffer alone, we know that we don't suffer alone because we go through our sufferings with the Lord Jesus at our side, there to comfort us. And uh, I just pray, Lord, that you give us all the, the boldness, the faith, the courage, the wisdom, everything we need for the trying days ahead so that we can preach your son, the Lord Jesus, until he returns in glory to take his stand upon the earth and make things right. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.